0: You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Anukshuk Professional Dog Food. And you're listening to episode 86, part one of my conversation with Robert Poor from Borderland Upland. Buckle up, it's going to be a good one. And this podcast is also presented to you by OnX Hunt, the most comprehensive public and private land ownership data mapping tool in the world many tools and layers like crop types tree species waypoints and so much more Uh, the onyx elite membership is going to give you a ton of access to um, a whole bunch of benefits uh, discounts on awesome gear Um, if you're not using onyx hunt already i highly encourage you get over to onyxhunt.com and sign up today and be sure to check out Anook Shook Professional Dog Food. The only sporting dog, high-performance dog food, I'm feeding my string of dogs. Have been using this for several years and Anook Shook has delivered and lived up to and surpassed all the hype you've been hearing about online through friends, kennels, breeders, all that and it has just been a high-quality premium food. Uh, I've been able to cut back several cups of food for my dogs, still keeping weight on them during season, during trialing, whatever it might be. These dogs are in the best shape they've been in, personally, in a long, long time. And thanks to Inuk Shuk Professional Dog Food, they have four incredible formulas. Check them out at InukShookPro.com. And last but not least, Final Rise gear. I am so pumped and proud to be representing the Final Rise brand. They have been producing year after year, quality premium upland gear that is made for the hunter. The bird hunter who is putting on miles after miles, season after season, and wants gear to hold up to the elements of how you are hunting. You got to look no further than finalrise.com. Check out the Summit Vest, the Summit XT Vest, which is brand new, the Sidekick Vest, as well as the Legacy. So many vest options, which are totally customizable. Um, I'm pretty darn confident you're going to find something that works for you and your setup. Uh, So check them out at finalrise.com. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Upland Rookie Podcast. I hope you're ready for an episode today. we got a two-parter with Robert Poor, And if you're wondering, hey, that name sounds familiar, you may follow him on Instagram, Borderland Upland. Uh, This is, to my knowledge, I think I did confirm with Robert as well. I think. I'm going to go out on a limb there and say this is the first time he's been on a bird hunting podcast. So I'm very excited, very thankful that he was able to uh, take some time um, from his schedule, training, his life, his job, all that stuff, to sit down with me um, and do a podcast together. So, uh, super fun uh, being able to get to know Robert a little bit more. Um, we'll dive into more of who he is in our interview, so uh, get ready. Uh, this is part one, and part two will drop in a couple days. Hey, I'm going to keep this intro kind of short. I know I say that quite a bit. Um, I hope first off, everyone's doing well. Um, hope you enjoyed the series I did with Todd Agnew from, uh, the spaniel training. Uh, that was a super fun episode. I really enjoyed chatting with him, uh, chatting spaniels, trials, all that good stuff. Um, obviously we chat a lot of pointing dogs, which I love. I'm super passionate about, um, but chatting with, with Todd a couple weeks ago, um, super fun. Got my head kind of spinning around, uh, springers and we, we obviously talked about the cocker more. Uh, and we talked about the cocker again on today's episode with Robert. Um, I might be on part two, actually, but and regardless, we we chat about the cocker, which is kind of taking over the, the world by storm, uh, but we kind of talk about the the practical uses for a cocker. Um, so if you haven't listened to the episode with Todd, I'd highly recommend. Uh, go back, check out that episode, whether you uh, want to learn more about the cocker spaniel, the springer spaniel, uh, those are kind of the two we cover mostly. Uh, I thought I thought was a really fun, fun conversation. So um, we are in, gosh, we're almost end of May here almost end of May. Life has been flying by right now. Um, I have been quiet on social media. I know. I'm very sorry for that. I've gotten my DM inbox is full right now. Uh, I'm very sorry. I kind of just uh, life is kind of just taking over right now with some other uh, priorities right now. So I have not been super active on social media apologies for that. I'll try to ramp that up as we head into summer head into fall, of course. Um, but we're rocking and rolling here with the podcast. Um, and I wanted to let you know, uh, we have the gunner giveaway happening. Uh, I finally have a date announced. That I can talk about the Gunner giveaway for the Fan Kit 2.0. So, who's in love? Free gear. Um, so, for Patreon members only, gotta be signed up on Patreon. You can become any level of support over at Patreon.com/slash/The Upland Rookie Podcast. Uh, I'm gonna announce the winner on May 31st. Wednesday, May 31st, I will announce the winner of the Gunner Fan Kit 2.0. You can attach that to any uh, kennel you have. Um, Of course, it's going to attach really, really nicely to a Gunner kennel. Um, So you're going to get a brand new fan kit, as well as an Upland Rookie hat, a couple stickers. So head over to patreon.com and get signed up as a supporter today. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. All of those who are signed up on Patreon right now, thank you for your support of the podcast. Um, every every penny over there goes back into the podcast, I'm helping support the show, hosting fees, um, all sorts of stuff. I am going to be working on a website here pretty soon. Um, Got to get with my brother on that. He, he promised me a website uh, for the price of a Yeti cooler. So. I think I can make that happen for him. Um, Dan, if you're listening, which I know you're not, (laughs) I'm going to be talking to you very soon about getting the website up and rolling. So, um, anyways, guys, again, like I said, I think this is Robert's first podcast appearance. I'm super thankful that, uh, he was able to make that happen, uh, for our listeners. Um, again, you may know him for, uh, some of his, some of his upland memes. Uh, his content is actually really, really good. Um, I love Robert's pretty authentic approach, honestly, kind of no BS attitude, um, just to wh- how he approaches social media, um, which we do talk about on part two. Um, we kind of just unpack of, of the good and the bad of social media and how it relates to the bird hunting world and, and all that stuff. So we, we dive into that more, but, um, I really appreciate Robert been chatting with him for, for, I mean, probably a couple of years now, just getting to know him a little bit more. I love seeing his passion, um, and, and his humor as well. Um, just again, we all have our own take on, um, on hunting, I, just, I love. I, I can appreciate uh, different styles, different. Um, yeah, so I, I I really enjoy this conversation. I hope you guys do as well. Uh, without further ado, we're going to dive into part one with Robert Poor. you good uh, good schedule. As far as that's days that's on, why, that's,
1: that's why I'm in it, and that that was about the only thing they would take a, a redneck with no education or
0: experience in when I was super <laughs> super. Young, so. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's yeah, that's, that's a good. I I. I, I, I uh, uh, Go ahead. Uh, no, no was, go ahead.
1: Uh, I did the wildland stuff for about 15 years and then uh, jumped over to structural a few years ago just to kind of um, see something different and uh,
0: yeah. get a little closer to kind of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. How was the wildland stuff? How I love it, man. Uh, the, yeah.
1: entire, the entire quest to be in your office is, is kind of a cool deal. <laughs> uh, tons and tons and tons of traveling. Um, 90% of the job was outdoors, not at a desk. It was, it was a really, really nice deal.
0: That's cool. Yeah.
1: That's really it Took me cool. to a lot of places that you kind of keep in, in the catalog. Oh, sure. For, uh, maybe, uh, set and sail with the truck and some bird dogs.
0: Yeah. Drop, <laughs> drop, pull your Onyx real quick and <laughs> drop. A pin.
1: Yeah. A lot of this, a lot of this was pre Onyx, but you're thinking about it. You're like, uh, cause like, you know, I did, I fought fire in like Hell's Canyon and the OID okay. breaks and legendary bird country and you're out there in July and you're watching waves of chuckers get up and you're like, I'll be back. One <laughs> day.
0: I'll be back. <laughs> With with a wildland firefighter, are you really, you're not really tied to a state, right? You could be sent anywhere when there's wildfire.
1: Well, it, it kind of depends on what you're assigned to. Like if you're assigned to a interagency hotshot crew, that's a national resource. You can go anywhere. Okay. Um I was on an engine and did some hand crew stuff off and on. Um, the majority of my career and during our core fire season you're 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 where you need to be you're here Mm. but like uh for us our our monsoon season that drives a lot of our you know merns quail hatch it makes it to where nothing will burn Mm. so uh with that being said you could sit there with uh and twiddle your thumbs or you can go where other places are burning and it kind of burns latitudinally so like arizona kicks off first and then Mm. utah and colorado Uh, and then like roll Washington, Oregon, that kind of a thing. So you just kind of work your way slowly north throughout the season, August, wow. September, usually come
0: home about October 1st, that kind of okay. thing. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, before I was going to, uh, before I was a pastor, I thought I wanted to be a firefighter. I, I did want to be a firefighter. And then uh, I was working at a church part time. And then they approached me about a full time role. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you want me to be a pastor? <laughs> okay. That's awesome. But That's I was, good. I know. I know it's a, it, it's been fun, but, um, there, there, every time I see a fire fire truck still, I'm like, Oh, that was my, that was my love. <laughs> that was my was grown up. They had no interest in
1: it, but when I was in college and they're like, Hey, do you want to, uh, like go dig and stir in the dirt and put fires out and <laughs> see the Western public lands and we'll pay you. I was like, yeah, that, that seems like something I could get off. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where do I sign? Where do yeah. I sign?
1: And Early on in your career, like before you get picked up, picked up, it's seasonal work. So it worked really good with like a, a school schedule for like oh sure, college students. A lot of, I would say a decent majority are wildland firefighters uh, are college students, and they just do it seasonally. Okay. And um, once you kind of move on and progress and get picked up and that kind of thing, it just kind of turns into a full-time job. But it's kind of like, I'd imagine being a junkie. They give you a little bit at sure, first, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you a get, little bit more, you and get a good taste thing of
0: you know,
1: it, <laughs> On I mean, and I've got a full time job. Where the hell did yeah.
0: this happen? <laughs> right, you're like, how did this, yeah, how would this happen? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, turn in turn into the uh, the bird dog side of things here, Robert. Um, yeah. fr- fresh off the old Graham here. You know, a couple weeks ago, we finished up with uh, with the bird dog bracket. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I'm sure you did. I, did. I, I know I you did because we, we chatted a little bit. Um, give me your uh, give me your, your reaction to the the bird dog bracket um, well, over the last couple weeks.
1: I'm not so certain that it was a bird dog bracket. Uh, that's, that's no jab at, at bird dog of the day. The folks that put it on, I think it was largely a pet bracket <laughs> popularity contest now, I say that Britneys and short hairs aren't awesome, but boy, oh boy, there is a lot of, uh, fur mommies voting on that <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. Uh, yeah, of, I get it. A lot, a lot of running partner votes as opposed to bird dog folks. Sure. And, um, I, 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 it was it was shaky. I understand what they're trying to do. It was cool. It was cool to see that level of involvement. Sure. But you're scratching your head on like some of the pair-ups, and you're like, man, how the hell did that win? Have they never <laughs> There really was a couple head scratchers. Dogs? Yeah, have you ever like never seen these dogs actually work at all? Right. But
0: um, I think, like, I uh, think the obvious one, the the pointer. What was the first? Because they went out in the first round, wasn't it? Who they get beat by? I do don't. Remember? I
1: don't. Get off the top of my head, I've tried to build some scar tissue around <laughs> to get that. So. Um, like I can see, like, if I, if I, if you were just going like, you know, probably ownership and popularity, like the matchup in my head was always lab, short hair, lab, sure. short, hair, lab short hair. And I don't have any of those. So I don't even have a dog in that fight. Sure. But, um, To me, like everybody's got a short hair or a lab. Everybody's got a short hair or a lab. I've had short hairs and labs both don't have any anymore but that was kind of the matchup and then like britney's just out of nowhere yeah
0: it surprised me big time
1: kind of murderers road knocking off all sorts of breeds it was kind kind of surprising and even uh i was i did have a little bit dog in the fight in round one because they they used uh the picture of my cocker up against a boykin oh uh man the cockers got knocked off by boykins i was like that's a little surprising surprising surprising
0: that is surprising yeah. because because I mean the the cocker craze right now and just I, I thought that they were going to be an easy you know
1: oh they're the cutest trend in upland hunting right sure now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah but uh, the old cocker uh, I like I could see if there was like a giant waterfowler presence like leaning hard on the Boykin and maybe there was more of than I expected sure but you think like the waterfowlers like the serious guys are running labs. Um, unless they've got like some weird nuance, like South Carolina, I can absolutely, that's the dog of the state. Sure. I can see you having Boykins. Absolutely. But, um,
0: the majority of those folks are running some sort of a, a retriever. Right. And, um, that, that Boykin cult is, uh, they're strong. They are strong I, and deep. I
1: was not expecting that. I, was I know. Not expecting that. So it, it was, it was interesting. And I like, I kept tuning back in just to watch the upsets because none of my dogs are popular. They all got booted out. Like. <laughs> Are super early, so I just kept waiting to see the upset, and they yeah. just kept the hits kept rolling. They <laughs> just
0: crap. kept coming because the setter didn't even make it super far, which was no, which is no, I mean for, they, for like, bir- true bird dogs like like that and the pointer like those are freaking bird dogs.
1: Like, uh, American field placements, and it's like yeah, none of these even make it. None of them right. even make it. like it's it's setters pointers. You know, yeah. look at the entire trialing world. It's going to be Brittany short hairs setters pointers
0: right Those and, are your, as, and
1: let you like point. talk like navda specifically and then you'll start getting in you know some poodle pointers have been doing really well lately sure obviously the draughts and the, the wire hairs all that good stuff they do well but like man there were some just really interesting upsets so, <laughs> there were there were. it was that, it was that's fun it, that's that's my take on it but it yeah. was it was all in good fun and it was uh it was fun to fun to poke the britney crab hell i've had britneys i think uh, a common misconception in my world is people think that I pick on breeds and I hate them. And I'm like, man, I've owned half of these. and they're awesome. I get that, That's even better when you I know, yeah. I know some nuance and I can pick on them maybe a little bit better. Sure. So, yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. I, I was going to ask you about the, uh, the Griff later on and we'll, uh, we'll circle back to that. Cause you, you yeah, give yeah, some it was, good,
1: it was, just, it was just their turn.
0: <laughs> it was their just, turn. They were up next okay. in the, uh, in the <laughs> alphabet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Robert, before, uh, before we go too much further, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, tell everyone uh, who we're talking to, and uh, just give us a little overview maybe of, of who you are.
1: Yep. Uh, name's Robert Poor. Uh, Instagram handle, borderland underscore upland. Um, I, I kind of, I guess, got pointed out for making memes. Um, been running bird dogs the majority of my life, been upland hunting. The majority of my life i'm i'm in my late 30s now um everything kind of i i used to do a lot more big game um but everything's kind of moved towards the uh an upland upland centric world and that's kind of all i want to do i'm like doing everything i can to retire as early as i can and just do that hmm. uh, I, i'm in uh southeast arizona and uh largely chasing quail um but do a little bit of traveling, and bird hunting too.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. man. Well, I can't wait to uh, unpack your story a little bit more. I want to hear more about your journey, uh, you know, with upland hunting and, and all sorts of stuff here. Um, um, but I know, um, you know, not too long ago, you had uh, one of your dogs uh, get pretty sick and uh, Luke, is that right? How's, yeah. uh, how's Luke doing? Why don't you give us an update on him and kind of maybe just a, a synopsis of kind of what was going down?
1: Because there's a, a good reach here and because a lot of people travel to the Southwest this year chasing quail, there was a, a interesting thing happened with him. Um, so he ended up picking up an uh, inhaled foreign body, we're assuming a grass on, and then with that, a valley fever infection, which is huge in the Southwest. Uh, it's a, a fungal infection. And my concern with that for the bird dog world is that you know, if you're from Minnesota and you bounced down here and hunted in this stuff and, and got exposed to that, your vets may not be able to recognize it. So being able to, to pick up on and, – and the ugly truth about valley fever is it can manifest – dozens of ways it can show up as bone cancer lesions coughs all sorts of things and so oh, wow. it, one of those nebulous things that Th- sorry those are
0: results of that, those can be yeah. results of valley fever yeah okay yeah, those, those are symptoms for it and like wow.
1: uh my brother had a dog that they diagnosed with bone cancer and ended up in valley fever and you put them on a fun antifungal and life is great wow Manifest a ton of different ways so if people are traveling down here and their dogs are getting sick and there's no they don't know what's happening um that's something to look at especially for people that are coming from a part of the world where that's not a common thing. It's big in Arizona, Mexico and and California, if I'm not mistaken. But so he was fighting two infections. The odd deal was, is I hunted him, had no idea, no inclination. He was sick. He was eating good, everything like that. hunted him. And because he's a pup, I've been hunting him by himself a lot, trying to make him an independent bird finder on his own, rather than being steered into birds by more experienced dogs. I do mix that in a little bit just to get his face in some birds, but more just wanting to create an independent absolute bird frenzy bird finder and so he pointed three species of quail that day we had a really really good day Uh, i missed his merns quail unfortunately and end of the day he stabbed a giant covey of scale quail wave went up shot a bird he went over like he knew what i was doing picked it up and was super proud i let him pack it around a little bit loaded him in the truck drove home and when i went to unload him he was stoved up sickly didn't want to eat all and uh i usually feed right after hunting when i got home and So myself and my wife determined that he wasn't doing good. Uh, She used to work at a vet clinic, and I've had animals all my life. And so we blasted off an hour to an emergency vet in Tucson. And about halfway there, he went unresponsive on me, unresponsive to pain and everything. We all know how, like, tender dog's ears are or anything like that. I could grab a ball of his ear up, and Mm. he wouldn't even wince and flinch or anything. I was— raking his ribs to try to get him to lift his head just to try to keep some level of consciousness there and sure They got him in a uh, valley fever test later They ended up finding out that he had a pneumothorax So he had a collapsed lung on one side Ooh. as well as a pyothorax, which is a, a pus buildup probably from that on Okay, uh, I had probably exited his lung and combination of factors there between the valley fever infection and the on he had a deflated lung and a,
0: and a pretty gnarly oh, old infection. So real quick, do you, the grass on, do they think that was, is it quick? Like he might've inhaled that on that hunt or like he days or weeks that, prior.
1: It's, it's so nebulous with those things. He could have had that grass on in there for a while and then it just started migrating and exited the lung or something like that. And they never, never came up with the on itself, which talking with uh, a couple of, docs that literally wrote the paper on grass on infections, they're like, most of the time you don't come up with it. It's just a a most likely scenario. Okay. Um, with that, he's, he's doing good now. Um, he's, he's on a heavy course of antibiotics for about four months from the onset. Wow. uh, And a heavy course of an antifungal for about six months from the onset. And, uh, the, the goal is, is if we stop and it gets reestablished, now we have a more um, resistant infection. So we have to, mm. we have to treat it as overkill as the rule moderations for cowards, kind of an approach. Okay. And, and, uh, the Valley fever test, they, they can check tighter counts and we'll be doing that about every six months, probably for the rest of his life. And he's just, over, wow. he's probably about a year and a half right now. So.
0: Okay. Okay. We Chilin got a long is, road ahead,
1: but he's he's up. Yeah. and Around, we're kind of restricting movement and that kind of a thing, but he's he's doing good and he has no idea he's sick. So, sure, we're, <laughs> he's we're a just he's, gonna he's a pup still. He's, he's a he's a big happy dopey setter. So
0: <laughs> that's crazy, man. What a what a, a journey there with him, and and obviously pretty scary. Man, and...
1: it's always something. I I yeah. I've had my share of sick dogs. I had a uh, Brock a couple years ago with globoid cell leukodystrophy, which caused a seizure disorder. I had a Brittany back in the day with epilepsy. So I'm just kind of just yeah. kind of waiting for a, a normal damn dog. <laughs> uh, and even my Cocker, my Cocker is as healthy as the day is long, but he's suicidal. He just has no, <laughs> no idea of self-preservation whatsoever.
0: So don't see is, that, that, is that most Cockers, though, or is that just I, is your special?
1: I don't know. Um, I haven't been around a ton of them. They're not a big thing down here in the Southwest. Uh, I bought actually got him from Tyler Sladen. And that was the first okay. time I'd hunted. Over a cocker was his river dog, and I had so much fun mm. and just hell on wheels on desert quail. And so I was like, ah, I got to get me a little bit of that. So uh, <laughs> he threw a litter. I bought one of those, and I just don't see a lot of them yeah. on here. But the ones I've seen are are uh, pretty rambunctious. So, <laughs> That's
0: yeah, he, awesome. He's, he's, well yeah, go ahead. While we touch while we touch on the cocker, and first off, I'm glad Luke's doing better, and yeah. and you know, good luck on his the journey ahead. Appreciate Again, it. sounds like it's gonna be long, but um, just glad he's glad he's doing well. Um just touch on the cocker, you got one. I mean he's he's not how too old now, right? He's pretty he's young still. Right
1: there. So uh I, I did some really poor planning. Um I had a deposit in with Alder Fork English Setters for oh probably about ten months before uh oh uh ever bred and dropped a litter and so that was just always kinda on the back burner of uh the setter will come when the setter comes. And then Tyler made that litter announcement for the Cockers and I was like, ah, it's not gonna line up that close. They ended up lining about two weeks apart. I ended up with two puppies about two weeks Ooh. maybe three weeks. And uh so for a decent little stretch there I wanted to suck start a revolver, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, it, so he's getting sure. right there just older than the setter. He's um I wanna say he's born in July. So coming up on. T- okay. Coming
0: up on. T- okay. Yeah. Okay. So what's, what's that cocker experience like, especially like you, like you said, you're mostly hunting quail. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how would someone use a quail or use a quail, use yeah. a cocker in a, in a quail hunting situation? How do you use your, your cocker?
1: Well, I'm still kind of figuring that out a little bit. Um, so on desert quail, which are, uh, kind of notorious runners, um, gambles and scaly specifically, and to put it in context, the first time i had ever hunted pheasants was, I don't know, maybe eight, 10 years ago. And I finally started understanding how pheasants worked. And I was like, oh, these are a three and a half pound scaly. Okay. Cool. Mm. They like to run whatever, all that good stuff. So, um, kind of using that same mindset and applying the cocker to desert quail. Um, if I, the whole goal is to keep him in the gun range and he's going to root out any living creature at all. And it works okay. really, really well independently. Um, on desert quail. Now, if I pair them with pointers, what's amazing is that little booger will still find his own birds that we walk past. Hmm. And um, like I, I hunt with some buddies, uh, filthy upland is his Instagram handle. Phil West. Oh sure. He runs some really really nice pointing dogs. Another buddy of ours, Eric Walters, has one of the nicest Britneys I've ever seen. Hmm. And um, what's crazy is that little dog behind all of those dogs will still root out singles here and there. And wow. Just a tenacious, tenacious retriever. And with desert quail being a lot like pheasants, they're very, very lively cripples, and if they hit the ground and bolt, they're liable to go in rodent holes, cactus patches, mm. stuff like that. So having a tenacious little retriever there. And Phil, he, he marries his up with a lab. He runs a really, really nice upland lab. And we can run those two dogs behind all of the pointers. The pointer's out, you know, a couple hundred yards doing works, okay. that kind of a thing. And those flushers, 25, 30 yards in doing that work and doing a lot of our
0: yeah and, and, and like you said they're still picking up their own birds that maybe the pointers you find know, it have, passed up or it's
1: it's the way i look at it is uh in in my little system here we've got some more powerful dogs that are doing you know three four hundred yard work and uh, in the hound world would be like a strike dog so they're finding good coveys that kind of a thing and then we've got some mid-range dogs that are a little bit more thorough like my brock um very very thorough uh good nose on her she's got a cannon for a nose and then you've got the incredibly incredibly coarse filter of that cocker at 25 mm. nothing's getting past that little bug
0: that's awesome now on murt do, do you oh go ahead it's uh, no. uh, our um real quick i think there's a little delay sorry yeah, man no um uh, with your cocker real quick um do you have any goals to get where you know there the, the point dog points and then the cocker goes in to flush that I, for the pointer i was just getting there i'm glad you Okay, okay, so, cool. Uh, Mern's quail, with them being very, very behaved
1: and and um, honoring good dog work, if a pointing dog stabs them, they're going to be there when you get there. And um, so originally, you know, within the Spaniel world, hupping, hupping a Spaniel, getting them to sit, I was having to do that initially a lot. Um, so I'd have the little cocker working with me, and just because he's a lot of fun, and I brought him along, and I wanted to see how this kind of dynamic was going to work in Mern's quail. And come to find out that like I would walk in on point and he would see that dog on point. And after hearing it and getting, you know, a little Edison medicine and talking to and hupping and that kind of a thing, he got to where he would see, and it's not a true back like a pointing dog would expect, but he would see my main opal dog on point and he'd park his butt. Or I'd be just talking to her, you know, trying to ease her because it might be, you know, five, 10 minutes walking across the canyon to get to, to that pointing dog mm-hmm. on Mern's quail. And I just talk to her, hey, easy girl, you're doing good. Whoa, just super easy, you know, calming, calming words. And uh, as soon as he sees her and hears me say, whoa, he parks. And so wow. nice with that is I could get people set up in shooting lanes. Yeah. Um, because it's all about the Covey Rise with Marin's Quail. If I could get people set up and in position and everybody back, traditionally I have done the flushing. And now I can sit back, take pictures, smile, and <laughs> not worry about getting shot. Send in the coked monkey with a switchblade and let him do the flex work <laughs> and the retrieving work. Because largely, my setter will retrieve. He doesn't care much for it. My brock will sure. retrieve too. It's okay. But that cocker, all he wants to do is bring you anything he can find. It's like a pet raccoon. He just, he has to grab something up and bring it to you. So on the murk. That for-
0: sounds so fun.
1: I, I, I would like to think that I sold some cockers this winter to people that hunt.
0: I'd like <laughs> to think. Uh, yeah. A little fire. commission from the Cocker Society. Yeah,
1: everybody stands back and gets in <laughs> position, and then you send that little
0: you know that little lawnmower in there, and he
1: gets the birds moving, and you get shot angles that you just don't get hmm. with pointing dogs and when we're flushing in front of pointing dogs. When we're flushing in front of pointing dogs, birds are going away from us. We are the threat. Hmm. When they see that little coked-out monkey with a switchblade coming after him, I am not the threat anymore. You got birds whizzing past your head, and all sorts of wow. fun angles that you've just never seen before. And uh, yeah. largely, it's safer. And I kind of stole that from from my buddy Phil, who's been doing that for years with his lab over pointing dogs uh-huh. on Merens Quail. And uh, when I got him initially, it was uh, because of a, a, a comment Maddie Rollinson said, who runs some really really nice cockers. It's that they're not a tool for every situation, but they're the perfect tool for some situations. So like. When I'm traveling, if you see that that old, broke down homestead that's real weedy that might hold a few Bob Whites or maybe some Huns or something like that, you can send out that talker sure. and have a really fun 15, 20 minute little loop there. And I just mm-hmm. kind of slowly started adopting him into what I do here. And it's been working really, really well. I just don't, it sounds stupid. We all lose a few birds here and there, but I just don't lose birds with that dog. He is a tenacious little retriever and he is hell on cripples. So.
0: That is so cool. Will he be able to uh, make, so, you know, he say you knock down a couple of buddies and yourself, knock down maybe two, three birds from a covey, mm-hmm. whatever. Will he be able to then bring one back and you'll send them out back on another, we're, so we're, I guess we call it maybe a blind retreat? Yeah, or? exactly.
1: So uh, we're not there yet. We started into it a little bit last year, uh, last year being his uh, puppy season. Um, so the, my whole training workup through the summer and everything, we started working on that. And uh, a good friend of mine who actually has a lab from Phil, he's a waterfowl guide here and he's got uh essentially a master hunter class lab and i was like okay. better to train with to start doing the blinds and stuff with with Bart because i do do a uh, lot of dove hunting with him and you know we knock down two or three doves mm. i want to be able to stay sure. in our blind area send him on a dove get him back line him back up and doing that so we're going to start working on that um probably here within the next month or so start doing full uh-huh. i, I want to take him to that level i don't i'm been yeah. testing him or putting any ribbons on him or anything like that. But sure. I would really, really like to be able to take him to that level for blind retrieves and marks and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. That sounds I, awesome, man. That sounds like a fun experience. It's a
1: ton of fun. Like you can't not smile when that little dog is zapping around. You just can't Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's what I hear. hear
1: and you're just knocking holes in the sky. You just look at him and it's like everything is okay. There's still the world. <laughs> everything
0: is all right. So. oh cute little upland theory yeah, yeah, very much so <laughs> yeah. that's awesome man well robert i'd love to uh, unpack your uh, let's back things yeah. up a little bit um what you know getting into upland hunting i know you mentioned big game all that why don't you just take us through your journey a little bit um you know did you grow up hunting as a kid was that part of your family yeah. um kind of how'd that all come about so for you?
1: my old man was uh he hunted anything that moved and i think it's a kind of a throwback of his dad hunted anything that moved, uh, big turkey hunters, uh, big big game hunters. My old man on his own, when archery kind of came into vogue in the, in the 80s, which is when I was born, fell in love with archery and ran an archery shop out of the small town that I grew up in. And so I just grew up in that culture. But at the same point in time, big game seasons are only, you know, so long and that kind of a thing.
0: I get asked all the time, what's one piece of gear you would never hunt without? Well, that is easy. It's OnX Hunt. OnX Hunt is the number one digital mapping software in the world. I've been using it for several years and it makes hunting p- uh, private and public land incredibly easy. Right at your fingertips, get so much information and data that you can pull up on the road hunting. Uh, and not to mention, this is an app on your phone or your iPad, but they just released uh, Apple CarPlay version. So if you have Apple CarPlay in your vehicle, plug in your phone and get all your pins and data with Onyx right on your vehicle's display. Super sweet. Check out onyxhunt.com. Use promo code ROOKIE20. To save you 20% on your Onyx membership today.
1: And so we did a ton of small game hunting. In between all that and even when we we're bow hunting, uh like January in Arizona special, you can hunt over the counter deer, javelina, it's the best month for hunting our quail. Um waterfowl are still on the menu. So it was everything was just kind of a combination hunt. You'd be driving along to go glass for deer and there'd be a pond there with you know some pintails on it, we'd go jump the pond and shoot a few pintails and all that good stuff. But I remember even before I could hunt, he him taken me quail hunting a lot, and that was one of his passions. He he liked you like eating quail. So therefore you got to go shoot some quail. And, um, a very, I guess more of a utilitarian mindset than, than we're probably used to, like that's food running on the ground. And so sure. it was a, probably a little different mindset as far as like my old man was all about numbers, that kind of a thing, which has slowly shifted. Like, that's not my thing at all just sure. because I don't need them. I know where they sell chicken and all that good stuff. I just really enjoy the pursuit and so we always had a little bit of friction with that. Like when I got a little bit older, I'm like, I don't care if they win. That's fine. I'm going back. <laughs> Sure. And his, you know, value as a human being was limits, that kind of a thing. But um, yeah. I remember he took... Like, like, like that was success. Yeah, to, in yeah, his yeah It was... was I yeah, think yeah, it's a yeah. generational thing, largely. Uh, sure. Because that was his value to his dad was, oh, how'd you get a limit? You know, well, if it's good, you should have sure. got a limit. Even when we were fishing and everything like that. And uh, I just never have been about that. I've just always... Enjoyed wearing a smile more than, than counting birds or counting fish or that kind of a thing. But very, very good hunter. Very, very good mentor. Uh, anything triggered, he could shoot better than anybody I know. Terrific rifle shot. Competed in um, trap and pistol silhouettes and all that good stuff. So it was, And then, like I said, at a relatively high level of archery, growing up in an archery shop, um, I just was really fortunate to have that kind of a mentor growing up because anything that you could think of in hunting or fishing, he could do better than you. So, <laughs> and he was always willing to show you like, don't get me wrong. He'd thump you for 30 minutes while we were fishing and then show you what he was doing. And then you could do, <laughs> you know, but very, very good, uh, upbringing that way. I remember he took me on my first quail, the, the first quail that I shot, he just threw the four ten, and we used to do everything kind of off of a four wheeler and we had a utility rack on the back and we put dog box on that. And I remember a gambles quail sitting in a hackberry tree and he guided me over and guided me to it. And I, I tree pounded the crap out of that quail. And <laughs> what was odd about that is, uh, I remember he shook my hand on that one. It wasn't like a loving embrace or anything like that. It was like, Hey, welcome. You're going to be doing this forever. Kind of a, huh. nothing was said, wow. but he shook my hand and he, Congratulated me, and that was that. And off to the sure. races, and a couple of years after that, I was six when that happened. And a couple of years after that, I got a eight seventy youth model and a twenty gauge, and then off to the races before school, after school, chasing quail, okay. chasing doves. Um, laws were a little bit looser in that time, so like I could get off the school bus when I was thirteen, grab the four wheeler, throw the dogs on the, on the dog box, and go hunt quail till dark. And I, I lived on the oh. edge of town, so everything was wide open from that. So I would literally get off the school sure. bus, grab the dogs, and go bird hunt, until Dark. And the rule wow. was only, you'd be home at dark, you know? And so,
0: yeah, <laughs> that was yeah, the only rule.
1: And, and uh, <laughs> ran into, while we are out deer hunting one day, we ran into uh, Dave Walker out of Idaho. He used to run a big, big Arizona camp, and he's... Kind of a legend in the Brittany world, at least the old school Brittany world. Um, trained under Bill Miller and all that stuff and just hmm. some really, really nice field trial champions. And he gave me a Brittany. Just gave me a Brittany. I mean, he had oh, a bring wow. of dogs oh, out there. And we went out and visited him a couple times and BS with him. Because, you know, when you run into another hunter, it just turns into a three-hour BS session and that kind of a deal. And him and my dad. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're,
0: and then they're yeah, your best friends.
1: stories back and forth and everything like that. And then next thing you know, I'm hauling a Brittany home. Uh, like a year and a half old Brittany. And that was kind of the start of my dogs. We always had dogs. Uh, like my dad had, um, short hairs and labs. And my brother had a short hair and that was our first Brittany. And then I had Britneys for a few years and then got a few more short hairs. And by the time I, I graduated high school and college and started working on a career and everything, I didn't have any dogs and it was probably best trying to build a career. And, um, uh, move out on my own and kind of get my feet underneath me. But as soon as I had the opportunity again and I could start seeing some windows of time that I wasn't doing anything, it was like, it's, it's time to get a dog again. And I ended up the worst lab in history, but he he still did his (laughs) job. He would, he would, you know, he would do some retrieving work if you needed him to, but it was kind of the start back into that for me, which was good.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. So so with that so with that start back into it for you it was kind of time to then get your kind of your own your own dog and and kind of move forward. Um, what what led you to the lab at that point? Because it sounds like you had a, had some experience, right? With with Brittany short hairs. We always had lab. So so what was the lab pick the, up? There? The, the
1: main dog of like my childhood was a, a big yellow lab who was just stellar. And then um dog that carried yeah. over even when I was younger, we had a black lab and she was really really good. And. Um, so like when I was, I don't know, maybe 23 or so, I was like, yeah it's time to get a lab again. And I wanted a chocolate one this time. And he was just the worst dog ever. Um, just separation anxiety and all the bad stuff that you don't want. But at the same point in time, he was my little buddy. I had him for 14 years, just put him sure. down last June. And, uh, he was, he was okay. my buddy for 14 years. And regardless of how much of a dirtbag he was, I matched him with dirt bagishness on the other side my little (laughs) and then um there was a time there where after about 2000 arizona quail hunting wasn't very good at all i still did it Mm. um because it's it's the only thing i know to do go 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 whack a few quail here and there and i feel like eating some quail let's go get some but i had a buddy move into town uh, who was into bird dogs and uh had a really nice uh rawhide clown short hair and then uh about that time uh this is probably about 2014, 2015. Um, Gun Dog magazine came out with like a Brock Francais feature. And uh, he was already looking at him. And I saw that feature too. And we kind of both came together and we're like, well, have you ever even heard of these things? They look like short hairs,
0: but like smaller. I don't know. Oh, hold on. My mind just exploded. So you're not talking about a Brock Italiano, Brock right? Brock Francais. Brock Francais. Okay. I heard when you said Brock earlier, was, that's was where my mind know, went Brock for some Francais. reason.
1: Hey, I understand those puddly pasta dogs, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we kind of got to looking at it and then he, he jumped on and like didn't even bat an eye and bought one and it showed up and it was one of the neatest, most natural pointing dogs I've ever seen. Super, super wow. user friendly. You kind of teach them their name, stab them in birds and that's it. And then it was even crazier wow. was when you brought them home, they went to sleep. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? Having short hairs, you know, the majority of the bird dogs in my life were short hairs um, with a few Brits mixed in that were, that were nice. But I was like, man, I've never even seen this kind of behavior out of a six month old dog. And we're shooting wild sure. birds off of this dog at six months and it's coming home and sleeping and it, oh. you got to wake him up in the morning at eight a.m. And I was like, man, got to get me some of that. So I found a local breeder. Ended up with a really nice one. That was the one that ended up with uh, globoid cell dystrophy or unfortunately, but really, really nice local breeder. They supported uh, supported me through that whole process, and even got me a replacement dog. And that's the old that's the old oh, dog wow. you guys see uh, on my Instagram. Okay. She was replacement dog,
0: so the best free dog ever. But um, wow. she's so, so so so. Talk about yeah. those brocks a little more. So it's, are they kind of like a uh? more chill short hair so in a sense, I had to, a more trainable I had or what are they <laughs> yes like
1: and no they're they're very very soft very very soft and bittable kind of like a britney area, maybe even a french brit um they don't take a lot of pressure but they kind of don't need a lot in my experience so um hmm. they're smaller t- they tend to be smaller than short hairs uh like opal's about 38 pounds at hunting weight you know her fat off-season weights maybe about 40 42 pounds that kind of a thing and it's just so damn hot here in the summertime, it's hard to keep them running. Uh, so sure. I, we do have a down season where I'm not doing much with them. They, they just work their hind parts off all yeah. winter. We're going to rest them for a couple months, and then I'll start doing my workup in about August. But back to the Brocks, um, they just kind of – they're smaller. They're a little bit legier. They seem to have just visually to me a little bit deeper chest. And if you read about like the Pyrenees region between France and Spain – it's a lot like the stuff I hunt in here. So it's rocky, can be kind of warm into the nineties, that kind of a deal. And so they're kind of a, a dog built over there that fits really well in the country that I have here. And so they have the nice short coat, like a short hair. They look like a short hair to people. To most people, everybody says nice short hair. And I just kind of nod and move on with my day. Cause I just don't feel like that guy that explains oh, things. Um, but they, they, their feet hold up really well because they're kind of smaller and lighter. And in this this country, okay. eats dogs' feet for a living. And I just don't have to mm. worry about her feet. I can hunt her. Like when we go to, wow. you know, pheasant hunts or something like that in the Midwest, I can run her hard 35 to 40 miles a day and her feet are fine because that's the nicest ground she's ever seen, ever. Everything here is volcanic rock. Pairs your feet up and there's a lot of up and down. Um, I will say that they have an odd gait to them. So it's not like an all-out lope or run, like a pointer or anything like that. It's... Okay. uh, Horse people would know this um, better than I would, but it's just kind of a camber. She just kind of cambers along, and it's a weird pace at about seven, eight miles an hour, something like that, if you're onto the Garmin. But she can do seven or eight mile an hour pace for five days straight. Whereas for a like long time, like yeah. A super flashy setter pointer, they're going to lean on 12, 13 miles an hour. And by noon, they're shot. They're done. And so okay. she's, I, I just kind of refer to her as my little metronome dog. She just kind of,
0: you know, just, <laughs> does her. and how, and how far out are these dogs ranging? Are, are well, they it, a little it, more mid range? on the
1: cover. So like, uh, yeah, I would call it a mid range. Um, I, I don't see any need to have a pointing dog that only hunts about 40 yards. Uh, if that's the case, I'll just run the flusher. Um, but Opal's average range in kind of our broken hilly oak savanna on Myrne's country is about 80 to 120 yards. If I run in a wide open, okay. scaly country, you know, nice big flats, that kind of thing, she'll lean out to about 200 yards, something like that. If it gets thicker, okay. she'll okay, pull nice. into, you know, maybe that 60 or 80 yards kind of a deal. And she adjusts really well on her own. Okay. I don't, I'm not a big fan of talking to her. Um, I don't like talking to my dogs, that kind of stuff. She just, uh, adjust sure. to the cover. And, um, if we're not finding birds, walk more and slow down. So
0: mm. and she'll, of does do her thing. thing it's, and... it, she's
1: about the, the most, uh, Ronco Showtime oven you can imagine. You just kind of set
0: it <laughs> be... Wow. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't even know. And again, if I've seen one, it might've, I might've yeah, thought it was so, a short hair. So you know, uh, I, I'd love to Fritz see one of those. kind of got that
1: little dish nose on them like a grizzly bird. Brock's have got sure. the same thing. So if you see kind of a dainty little short hair that's leggy, got a deep chest, okay. and they got that stupid little dish nose on them, that's, that, that's, that's uh, probably, okay. yeah, I'll be looking, I'll be looking feel for that. Better, I take her to the damn vet and they're like, oh, I had nice short hair. And I'm like, yeah, all right. whatever. yeah.
0: <laughs> whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever, let it go, <laughs> let it go. Dog,
1: though. That's, that's the price you pay.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, t- t- mostly because I'm I'm curious. Uh, talk a little bit about your. And now you don't have so. Brits anymore, right? But you said you ran Brits. Yeah. yeah in a the while uh, back,
1: late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah. So. Okay.
0: Uh, okay. Were, th- were those to you? Were those, yeah. those pretty good dogs so, yeah, that you run I think, in? Or I think
1: with anything else? Um, or, there's a bajillion breeds out there, and uh, I had really good experiences with my Brits. Um, even the one that had uh, epilepsy, uh, it'd make him you know a couple times a year but other than that he was just a hunting phenom uh i think he was a lot of dog for me at the time because he came out of trial lines dave walker's trial line mm. and uh for okay. like a 13 year old kid that's a lot of damn dog <laughs> oh <the> dog. geez <laughs> i
0: forgot yeah yeah for how young so you was, were then uh, Jeez. just a
1: kid and it was a lot of dog but um i've i've never had a heartache with any of them like some of the nicest dogs i consistently hunt over that buddies have are uh are Brits. Uh, like I said, my buddy Eric has got just an absolute phenom of a Brit named Dexter. And I don't know any of his sure. lines or anything like that. I just know he's a damn killer. And he's kind of a weird little plot along dog too. He just kind of picks his way along. And then the next thing you know, you everybody's garments going off. Well, Dexter going somewhere and you don't even know when it happened. He just kind of does a ninja vanish. And then he's got birds somewhere. But yeah, great, great <laughs> oh, dogs. Uh, I'm not in love That's with awesome. the coat on them. If I had one gripe, it would be the coat uh, in dealing with sure. birds and, and stickups and stuff like that. But it's the same with the setter and it's the same with the cocker. You just kind of come up with a system to deal with them, but they sure. seem to do well. Brits are super popular down here in Arizona. If you're running pointing dogs, it's short hairs or Brits, one of the two. And, uh, they're super, super popular okay. down here. There's some really, really nice lines coming out of this part of the world that I'm not super familiar with, but I know that when people, shoot them, birds die, sure. um, I think, I think the big takeaway yeah. in making fun of every breed as I've kind of made a, a passion of doing, is if if somebody's new and coming into this, does mom do what I want on the bird I want in the country I hunt in, and does dad do what I want on the bird I want in the country I hunt in? Odds are, if that lines up, uh, regardless of whatever the the pedigree says the hell it is, it's probably going to do what you want, you know. So sure, um, yeah. <laughs> Got kind of a little my, history behind it and yeah, got some, kind of some proving grounds of, behind it is, um, try to, try to find something that's doing what you, what you like. And then odds are that, that litter is probably going to do something like that. I'm a big believer in you don't pick puppies, you pick litters. And, um, sure. Like when I, when I got Luke, fortunately, um, uh, Robert Jones turned me on to that litter and, and Paul over there at Alderfork, but Paul had been coming down here and winners for years. And, his dogs are mm. just absolutely hammering murns quail. And I was like, well, okay, cool. Mm. What kind of distance are they hunting? We start, starts that conversation of, okay, what are we looking for? Cause I'm sure. looking to throw a bigger net here. Well, okay. Maybe, maybe this is a good fit for you then. And kind of how we went around that, but yeah. they did it on my ground, on my bird. And
0: mm. Yeah. So I kind of checked kinda, your box there. Deal.
1: Well, who do I send the check to? You know?
0: And was that your first? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, first, your setter. first setter. Yep. Okay. So I'm kind of uh, okay.
1: dabbling. That's I don't. Nice I don't know. We, none of us know how many how many laps we get around on this on this rock. So uh, there's just a lot of stuff out there I want to see. And so like I've been kind of just, just you know, the cocker yeah. and well, it started with the brocks actually. Kind of like I don't know what the hell they are. Let's try that for a while. And I really like them. And then the cocker is a lot of fun. I, I like your attitude. It's kind of like yeah, let's let's try yeah, it it's and. I mean, they all, it, once again, if you get, get them from the right people, they all do awesome stuff. Like, as hard as i pick on draughts, uh, before I was looking at brocks, I was looking at draughts. And was really thinking about a draught quite and bit. Uh, okay. Because at the time, I was like, okay, this is going to be a one-dog household. Which is not how it ended up being. But this is going to be a one-dog household. Let's let's go get that Swiss Army Knife dog and maybe do a lot of things with that one dog. And, um kind of ran into a few roadblocks here and there were some drop breeders of like, um, and I understand why they do it and I approve of why they do it. But like, Hey, if you get a puppy from us, we're going to want them tested at this date and at this date and this date. And I'm like, I'm cutting you a check and buying a puppy. I'll be damned if you're going to tell me what I'm going to do with that puppy because I'm a little feral in nature. And (laughs) like, Mm. if you went and bought a car and they said, okay, we we're going to mandate that you do this, this and you're going to put this on this part of the windshield and that kind of a deal. You, you tell them go to hell. So <laughs> I just kind of apply that to the life kind of a little feral. And so I was just like, ah, it's just not for me right now, you know, but it. Yeah, yeah. grew up, a lot of, a lot of folks around me have had, had some really nice wire hairs. Um, and I've seen some wire hairs do some really, really nice okay. work in this part of the world.
0: Are they, are they pretty common Are they pretty common in Arizona because of coat and heat and all that, or not really? When I was a kid,
1: there were short hairs and wire hairs everywhere. And we're starting to see it come back, but it's just with the resurgence of quail. Mm. So when quail numbers dove off in Arizona in the late 90s, early 2000s, bird dogs did too. Mm. And so a lot of people I know just like, you know, their dog aged out and they never re-upped that kind of a thing. But with the resurgence of Southwest quail, um, you're starting to see a lot more stuff again. You're starting to see... Everything you know, and whether they're okay. visiting or they're locals or whatever, like there's a guy 30 minutes away from me who runs a really nice poodle pointer kennel. I didn't even know what the hell that was 10 years ago, you know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, you're just starting <laughs> to see some stuff up, but it's, that's it's cool, driven, that's it's cool, driven by different birds. Breeds. it's absolutely driven by birds. If we got birds, oh, absolutely, we're getting the stuff. I mean, still don't know what the hell a brock is, sure. but you know. I'm bringing one here and maybe a few people seeing them here and there and people are like, Oh, well, that's a Brock. Okay, cool. And they never went 20 years ago, you know, it's sure, sure. driven by quail. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one more thing uh, while we're talking about dogs here, um, as far as the training side goes, are you using, uh, are you having someone train your dogs like a, like a pro are you training your dogs? If so, are you just kind of figuring <laughs> this out on your own? Like, like talk a little on the train side for your uh, yeah. for your dogs and so the what that's yes. been like.
1: Um, so, growing up, uh, we had a pigeon loft and we, we did it all on our own. And um, when I got that Brittany from Dave Walker, he had a VHS at the time called meat on the table. And for $60, you could get that VHS. And a lot of it's like the Gibbons West method that we know now. But this is, you know, infancy stage of Gibbons okay. West stuff. And, uh, yeah, VHS, and you could get a 12 foot check cord. And what we're knowing as, as a pinch collar now, that leather collar with the studs on the inside, flat. That, that was cutting edge oh, yeah. stuff in 1990. Yep, yep. So, and, uh, <laughs> so I got that kind of used that for some bird dogs for a few years. And then when I kind of got back into the pointing dogs, uh, YouTube was a thing by this point. And so just kind of mm-hmm. dabbling on some stuff here and there, still kind of sticking with like some Gibbons West stuff and doing it on my own. Uh, but being a big believer in, yeah. in, the best teacher out there is birds, and I still believe that like uh, if you teach a dog their name and you shove them in birds and you reward the behaviors you want, like don't shoot knocked birds, that kind of a thing, that they kind of kind of catch on on their own. But I've never taken a dog from like sure. steady to wing shot and fall because I'm I'm it's just never been an interest of mine. Wanting to do it now just to gain the experience of doing it. Now I bought the setter for a couple of. Couple of reasons. I wanted to uh, throw a bigger net, have a little bit more horsepower for a bigger country. Um, like, I'm wanting to start dabbling in some of the prairie states. And if you walk 60 yards the wrong side of a bird with a tight running dog, you don't find those birds. So, wanting to throw a little bit bigger of a net and wanting to challenge myself as as a trainer and, and maybe deal with something a little bit harder headed um, because all of my dogs have been pretty darn biddable and wanting to grow. Uh, As a handler and with that there was some a little bit of learning curve here and there. Uh, Nothing bad and nothing Nothing to his detriment at all Um, But some weird little hang-ups here and there and there's a phenomenal local trainer uh, by the name of Guy Mollicone Mollicone kennels and uh, He he helped me out a little bit with uh, Luke here and there on some stuff and more than anything he just had because he's a full-time pro trainer and I have a pigeon loft anymore he had access to birds and he has access to, you know, 20 years of that knowledge of putting his hands on thousands of dogs and something that blew my mind in, cause I've never worked with a pro trainer mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and watching him as I would come out and, you know, help him and hammer stakes and plant birds and shoot birds for him and that kind of stuff. So he could handle dogs, a pro trainer, the quality mm-hmm. of product you get from them. I was never a believer in until I saw they've had their hands on so many dogs and they have to have a, a commercially replicatable system and the timeline that they get stuff done in mm. is unfathomable to a guy who trains his dogs. So like uh, mm. watching him roll, break out a dog. <laughs> sure. It's like, Holy crap. I just watched that happen in my, in front of my eyes, instead of this like month and a half, two month long process <laughs> of, you know, that kind of a deal. And I'm like, Holy crap. I just watched that happen right now. And it's, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. So with that, um, I'm going to, Start and keep, kind of keep keep that relationship open and keep working with that guy. He is just unreal and just kind of a dog whisperer when it comes to that kind of a thing. And I just want to kind of uh, apprentice under under that kind of a kind of a system and just get as, much as I can because I'm I'm kind of sick with yeah. it in the sense of I just love it. You get a lot of dogs.
0: Sure. And when you see it, like, like you, you said, like when you see it firsthand, it, it also kind of clicks more too. Cause I can watch even a video on YouTube. I can watch videos. I can read till nauseam on yeah. whatever, will breaking, force fetch, whatever it is. But until you yeah really see someone well, who's just, really, really good at it, kind of live in person and you can ask questions, like, stupid, it, it kind like changes uh, the game a like little
1: bit. Like we're talking clicker training for marking good behavior, right? Well. We were, we were doing some, some stuff like sure. that on, on a, on a woe board, and he's marking good behavior with a, a word or something like that. He's also marking negative behavior, like when they would step off. And I'm like, why didn't I ever think of that? I've always marked the good side, but I never marked the negative side. I'm so used to lifting a dog back up and hmm. putting them back, that kind of a deal. And he would just, ah, 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 And because he's marking both behavior, the mm. time frame gets literally cut in half. Cut in half. Mind-blowing. I was like, wow. I have been doing it my whole life, and I have never seen wow. that. He's marking good behavior. And <laughs> yeah, I don't, and I don't think I've heard that before either. But yeah, the name's Guy Molocone, my Mollicone Kennels he is just the nicest person ever, and just a fountain of knowledge. If you're just hanging out with him, you know, putting birds in a bag or whatever, there's just just gems falling out of the sky all the time. You're like, oh, oh. yeah,
0: just left yeah, and he, right. You're, you're like, okay, oh, he you trained under, that uh, west as
1: well. So like that whole West method, I mean, it's, it's, it's strong in this part of the world. So, yeah. Yeah. You
0: mentioned book. That's cool. A book that Um, is always
1: influential to me was the, I think it's something along the lines of uh, teaching dogs to teach themselves. If you Amazon that, you can find that book too. But every time I get a puppy, I reread that book and uh, kind of a good family. Okay. What do, you, what, uh, do you what do you think? Teaching birds? how to again? teach themselves. Something like that.
0: Well, that is a wrap of part one with Robert. Uh, Make sure you come back for part two. I'll drop that in a few days from now. Sorry to leave you uh, kind of in the middle of that, but uh, definitely a lengthy conversation that would break up into two parts. So, hey, guys, uh, just a reminder, if you have not left a rating and review, I have a lot of new listeners over the last several months. Um, If you have just started listening to the podcast and are enjoying it, uh, would you do me a huge, huge favor and head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and drop a rating. Reading and review. Um, I love seeing the written reviews. Love um, learning what the show's impact is having on people out there who are actually listening. I love reading those. Um, gives me kind of a pulse on on how the show's doing. What you want more of? What you want less of? Um, how the show is, uh, again, helping inspire you in some way or another. So head over there, leave a rating review would be very, very helpful. Um, Also check out the YouTube channel. Uh, I've been dropping uh, podcast episodes over at YouTube as well. So I know some of you just love uh, consuming your content on the YouTube platform, which is awesome. So I have started uploading all podcast episode over at youtube.com. If you haven't heard of it, well, We probably have some other things to talk about. (laughs) Uh, Hey guys, until next week, go put some miles on those boots. Follow your favorite bird dog. Stay tuned. Part two is coming up in a few days.